you have this little quiz in front of you. And so by I'm going to read out each one, and then if you could uh, simply put a TLF by each one telling me whether you think it's true or false, um, okay? And then we'll go through it, and you don't have to turn it in. Uh, you can hold on to it, but I do want you to, I do want you to put a T or an F down, because I want you to think through whether you think it's accurate or not. Um, so would you affirm the following statements? The first one. Jesus appeared as if he were human, but he actually was not. Number two, Jesus is half God and half man as a statement. Third one, Jesus was created before the creation of the world. That's a, can I ask a question about the question? We're we going to go through it. Remember, it has, to be, it has to be completely true to be true or false. We're going to go through it, so Chris, hold off. Just, just, just read it the way it is. Would you affirm it the way it's written, or would you not? <laughs> Jesus did not actually take on human flesh because humanity is sinful, and Jesus did not sin. The next one. The baby Jesus who was birthed by Mary is not the same as the God who created Mary. Next. The Incarnation teaches that the Trinity became human in the person of Jesus. Oh yeah, we're going to go through all these. We're going to go through all these. The last one. The second member of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, came into existence at his birth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you know... These are the kind of questions that maybe would have come up in the early churches. They were wrestling with how do we understand Jesus, how do we understand all this. Um, all right, so let's go through these one at a time. Jesus appeared as if he were human, but he actually was not. That's false. Now, that's false, right? So we believe that he actually was human, right? That he was fully human. So, um, All right, here's a quote. Jesus is half God and half man. False. Okay, why is that false? Fully God, fully man. Okay, so, you know, yours truly was a heretic back in the day. I, I was in a college kind of Bible study, and there was, you know, we were studying the person of Jesus. And I said, well, you know, Jesus is half God, half man. And, and the Bible study leader cocked his head and he said, you know, I think the correct term is fully God, fully man. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, that's right. So, anyway, so even I'm, you know, even I'm spotting out some heresy back in the day. So. <laughs> Uh, well, listen, that, was, that was when I was young and didn't, you know, didn't know better. <laughs> that was before my seminary days. A mathematician would have a problem. <laughs> Jesus was created before the creation of the world. Okay. Uh, right, why is it false? It is false. Why is it false? He is, an, uh, according to the orthodox view, which is what we believe, he's an uncreated being. He's co-eternal with the Father. Because that's an Arius. That would have been an Arius view. An Arian view. God has always been there. Right. He was created in the form of a human being. Right. On that day. Sure. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah. Which one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Okay, no, that's that. Yeah, yeah. He was created when... God created the universe. Right, right, right. So I, I meant more, you know, Jesus, the eternal son was, you know, so it would have been, it would have been false because he's created, he's co-eternal with the Father. All right, but no, I, I can see maybe. Was that, if, <laughs> that's right. Uh, the next one, Jesus did not actually take on human flesh because humanity is sinful and Jesus did not sin. That's false, right? Because even though part of that statement is true, the whole thing's not true, right? He did take on sin and... Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Here, here, here may be a, t a tough one. Yeah. The baby Jesus who was birthed by Mary is not the same as the God who created Mary. That is false, but um, yeah, that is false because uh, we believe that, that 
and we're going to talk about this. This came up in one of the discussions in church history, and so. But the decision was that um, that that statement is actually wrong because Jesus, the, the one who was born, the incarnation, he was fully God in the incarnation, so he is also the one who would have. It's hard involved. to explain in words because he is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard, particularly, I think I've heard a few Catholics use this term, and uh, like Mother of God in reference to Mary. Have you ever heard that term? Holy Mary, Mother of God? Or or God-bearer, have you ever heard that? I don't know about you, but when I hear Mother of God, something inside me goes, that just doesn't sound right, right? That doesn't sound right. And so, honestly, part of that, the, the, um, the heresy that came associated with this was someone in the early church having the same response that I just had. Mother of God, that, that doesn't sound right. God is the divine. A, a mother is, is, is not divine, is, you know, is temporal, right? So you can't birth God. God is for, but. She did. Well, in the Catholic Church, not, not, we don't believe that. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't believe that. But yeah, in the Catholic Church, they believe that. So anyway, it's, um, but, but technically, yeah. So, Yeah, she, she, right, she birthed the incarnation of God. She's the birth person for the incarnation of, of God. She would argue that she is. But anyway, but you can see, I can see, like, I, I naturally have, like, a negative reaction to that phrase. Mother of God, that just doesn't no, sound right. Creator of God. Right, you know. So anyway, you can understand some of the struggles that the early church had in giving language to this. You joke in the church about that situation. Oh, yeah. God, they, they were going to stone up a person, and God said, Let he who loves sin cast the first stone, and a stone came flying from the back and hit the person. And God said, Mom. Okay. <laughs> 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 All right, the incarnation teaches that the Trinity became human in the person of Jesus. The reason that's false is because the Trinity is three persons, and not all three persons became were part of the incarnation. Only Jesus was incarnated. Okay, so that's a little tricky, but all right, goes back to last week. What is the Trinity? One God in three persons. That's right. Yeah, that's that's yeah. The second member of the Trinity, Jesus the Son, came into existence at his birth. False, right? So that's yeah. Okay. All right. So um, I, yeah. So that's just to kind of get you thinking about some of the some of this topic tonight, especially as we look through the early church as they went through these councils and had these conversations. This one primarily dealt with the deity of Christ, and then if if he is divine, then how do we understand the Trinity? This one primarily dealt with okay. If he is fully God and fully divine, how do we understand how those two work together? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and there's mystery there. We understand that. You know, we don't. We're not going to fully comprehend all these things. But I think there it is. It is worth at least giving some thought to it. To how has the church understood these things through the ages? And now, and based on also the teaching of Scripture, obviously. It would be endearing to God to give thought to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So, um, on the back of your thing, I've got a little outline for you. Um, how are we doing on time? I'm trying to think if we have... Yeah, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Why is it, do you think, the Catholic faith admire Mary, or, or recognize Mary far more than Here, Here's my understanding, Chris. I, I, you know, I'm not an expert on this topic. My understanding is that... Well, so, first, first of all, I think we should have a, a certain regard for Mary, right? I mean, she's blessed, chosen of God. No, we don't say how Mary. So, yeah, but uh, here's here's if you study my understanding, if and please correct because this is not my area of expertise, but my understanding in the development of Roman Catholic doctrine that certain beliefs about Mary have been relatively more recent. When I say relatively more recent, I mean last 400 years as opposed to 2,000 years, right? So some some of the ideas about. Um, uh, that she was uh, the, the Immaculate concep- Conception, that she was born without sin. Some of the other uh, teachings about Mary are really, they're, they're a little bit more recent in Roman Catholic official teaching, meaning the last three or four hundred years. It hasn't... Yes, because uh, there's, no, there's no indication in Scripture that, that Mary was born without sin. 
uh, that only Jesus, according to Scripture, and feel free to prove me wrong if you see it anywhere else in Scripture, Jesus is the only one who is born without sin. And so uh, Mary obviously is beloved, chosen of God to, to, to bring Jesus into the world, but, uh, but she is, you know, in, not in a different category than other saints in Scripture, other godly people in Scripture. And so we certainly appreciate her uh, and honor her, but not in the same way that the Roman Catholic Church has established that. But I'd also say that some of those views on Mary have been more recent in their, their development of their doctrine. And it hasn't been, you know, wasn't around when Augustine was around or wasn't around when um, even some of the medieval Christians, you know. Yeah, um, I, I agree with what you said there. Um, one of the problems is it's, it's actually developed into this doctrine of co-redemptress. Yeah, there's, there's discussion. So it's Jesus and Mary now. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's the danger that that, she, you know, that 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 there's a question in the Catholic Church whether she should be called co-redemptrix, meaning that it's not just Jesus who redeems you; it's also Mary. And I think we would have a huge problem with that because Jesus Himself is, is the only Savior, right? Yeah, but, uh, one of the things that I've understood about the Catholic religion is it's it's kind of like an amoeba. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, you remember what an amoeba does, you know, it goes and it just sort of surrounds something and then absorbs it. And and through the ages, the Catholic Church, you know, has had these different sects mm-hmm. that have formed around a different idea. Mm-hmm. And instead of having a council and declaring them a heretic, they just sort of absorb them mm-hmm. and make yeah. them part of them. And then they just keep growing and having, you know, different groups within there, you know, they're almost um, in conflict, except they don't want to acknowledge the conflict. Hmm. And every faith does that. Well, I don't know that I agree with that. Hmm. Yeah. Different sects of Baptists. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some differences in, Bap- in Baptists, but I would think that that is holding them together. Mm-hmm. The major. In the Catholic Church, there are some, there are some pretty bizarre things going on. Mm. All right, the person of Jesus. Here's the the one thing. uh, There's four things we're going to talk about that are important uh, that come out of these councils, and I would say come out of Scripture as well. Um, And let's see if we have time to... I I think we do. Why don't we do this for just a minute? Why don't we have U4 be a group discussion, uh, U4 be a group discussion, U3, and U3. How about that? Does everybody know your little group? All right. And here's what I want you to do. Groups. Your group one, two, two, one, and two. So there's only two questions. If you're in group one, I want you to discuss, is there biblical evidence for the humanity of Jesus? And if you can, try to give examples, either actual scriptures, passages, if you know of any, or, or just examples that you'd say, it clear, this would clearly demonstrate that Jesus was fully human. And those of you who are in group two, um, is there biblical evidence that Jesus is fully God? If so, uh, try to, try to uh, as best you if you are able to, maybe point to some scriptures that might teach that or some ways that you might defend that view. All right? So why don't we take, um, I don't know, 15 minutes or so to do that? So maybe about 15 minutes and have that conversation. Does everybody understand? Humanity over here. Is Jesus fully human? How, what, what do you see in Scripture and the Gospels and other parts of the New Testament that would validate that? That's, that's humanity, right? So you guys are the humanity people. Did you see in Scripture teaching that Jesus is fully human? If so, how would you explain that or defend that, either by actual verses or by examples or those kind of things? All right. And then you two are, are doing the other side. Does the Bible teach that Jesus is, is God? And uh, if so... Um, See if you can think of any passages that might teach that, and uh, or things of that nature. All right. Uh, you can use whatever you want. Preferably not, but if you have to, you can. <laughs> you, you can use your book. How about that? Try not to use Google initially. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 
Borrow one of these, I'll return it afterwards. Yeah, I had people last year disagree with his answer yeah. to that one. Yeah, that's a little... Yeah, yeah they're trying to understand... Uh, it's a little woo-woo there. Yeah. <laughs> 
Wait, you're supposed to be listening. Hey, man. We're just, we're just, we're so John, first John, one, one through four, that's, it's, it's very similar, and it uses the same language. So if, if we are confident in the fact that this John and that John are the same, this language of work can then be clear, where it can't necessarily be justified that because it says at the end of that statement, which we have seen, which we have heard, which we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And in these, so that gives sustenance to the language of the word. We're all, I'm sorry, if we're all children. But then again, that's lowercase. What's that? No, words. I think in this passage, it means like the test of comfort. It's like the test of comfort itself. Your work for that. This came. I remember this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is the other one. John 1, 14, and he said today, so what are these pictures of flesh? It's under the section of the They went through that word player. Let's take a couple more minutes. All right, let's wrap it up. 15 seconds. <laughs> All right, our humanity people. Let's start with you. Group one. Is there any evidence in Scripture that Jesus was fully human? If so, let me hear it. Yes? Okay. Good answer. Good answer. What evidence do you see? Can you? What are some examples? I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. You guys hear that? So his physical needs as a normal human being, he was hungry, he needed to sleep. Showed human emotions, anger, compassion, love. 
He died, of course, that's, uh, that's pretty significant. Right. Right, right. So in the we often talk about he has a human relationship, mother, father, sibling. Right. He understand he understood human humanity, temptation. Mm-hmm. Hebrews tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are, and yet with that was without sin. Very good. Very, I think they took a lot of it. Anything you'd add to that? We agree. I confer. One of the opposites that she just came up with is he was born. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He was born. Born. Birth and death are you know. Yeah, he died. Pretty strong reasons, right? But yes, they did steal most of them. Yeah. 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 We we discussed similar things, but what we actually we took a little different track. We started to. We tried to find scriptures okay. to use as evidence. Sure, so, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we, so we were thinking evidence meant something. Yeah, he, yeah. Not, not those things. That mm-hmm. we about. No, okay. That's good. It's all in there. It's just a good It's all good. All good. But no, that's that's good. So I, it's a pretty pretty clear evidence from Scripture, I think, that Jesus was fully human, right? All right, group number two. Is there any evidence from Scripture that Jesus is fully God? No. No? Okay. There you have it. Au <laughs> contraire. <laughs> All right. Well, what might be some Scriptures uh, that would point in that direction? John was the word of the You know, that's that's uh, miracles. I think is not is a less good argument. I'm mean, just because God, yeah, <laughs> because you know God has a lot of other people that are not divine to perform miracles. So, but you know, it certainly is a sign that Jesus was something significant, but he not necessarily that. Yeah, <laughs> that would be the ultimate sign. Uh, but um, but yeah, miracles by itself probably would not. I would not use that as a main argument, just because God has allowed other people who are not divine to perform miracles. Mm-hmm. In the same vein as that, would you also refrain from using the argument that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God? Yeah, and I, in fact, I think I heard this over here too about Mark one. Jesus referred to the Son of God. Honestly, if 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 um, for us who are born in the church, raised in the church, we hear Son of God, we think second member of the Trinity, divine, co-equal with the Father. But that's not necessarily how that language is always used. Um, and so I, I, that would not be my primary way of, of, of um, proving that Scripture teaches that Jesus is God because um, there are sometimes the Israelite king was referred to as the son of God. Sometimes Israel itself is referred to as the son of God. So I would say that that would not be my primary uh, use argument. Yeah. What about the testimony of the disciples? So you mentioned Thomas, my Savior, my God. There are people in this generation who, their God is Beyonce. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, we know that he was one of the eyewitnesses among other eyewitnesses, if we go that far. But just in that statement alone, even if it's John the Baptist, like, oh, he's coming. It's God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. In Jewish culture, though, like, calling Jesus God, can't, you can't assume it's like flipping the one someone would say with Beyonce. Like, if Thomas said, my Lord, my God, to Jesus, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he would be, he would be stumped. I mean, and, you know. Or when Jesus asked Peter, who do you think I am? Yeah. Or who do you say I am? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. what, one, one theory that my three cohorts came up, came up with that I, I had, it took me a while to bring up word, was the word word. 
Mm-hmm. Is that the beginning? In the beginning was the word, capital W, w. yeah. Yeah, right, and and the reason why I think it it does teach that is because it goes on to say who that word was. It's very clear that word is Jesus, if you keep reading, and it's very clear that identifies that word with God, and so, and the the word became flesh and dwelt among us, if you keep going. So, I, I, I would think that John 1 is a good, would be a good place. Yeah, right. John has a lot. John 8, before Abraham was, I am. John 14, not only does Jesus sound the way, the truth, and life, but he, I think even more importantly, uh, show us the Father and it will be enough for us. And what does Jesus say? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. So comments like that. Yeah, yeah. So th- things of that nature. Uh, yeah, John certainly uh, would be a, a great apologetic for um but even outside of John, right? We got, uh, you know, um, yeah, it, outside of the Gospels, have we, have we talked about any scriptures outside of the Gospels? We had a, we had a couple. So mm-hmm. um, in Titus, we see that, Titus 1.11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared. Um, and he goes on to say in Titus 12, or Titus 13, um, the appearing of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So he refers Mm-hmm. to both of those being made manifest in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Revelation, both in chapter 22 and also 19, so John brings back the word in, in mm-hmm. Revelation when he says, um, have it opened up, and he describes a lot of other things, and he said he is called the word of God. And then at the end of 22... And the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, you know. 22, he says, I, Jesus. So it's talking about the person who has proclaimed these visions to John, mm-hmm. and he says, I'm the Alpha Omega, I'm God. But then he also goes on to say, I, common Jesus, claiming his name. Yeah, yeah. Other parts that I like to go to a lot of times, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is a good kind of uh, place that talks about the deity of the Christ. He is, in fact, why, yeah, why don't we go there for just a second? Um, and then Hebrews 1 is another good place that I go to to talk to people uh, that who have questions, you know, does the New Testament actually teach the deity of Christ? So, Colossians 1, 15, He, meaning Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And then later on in Colossians 2.9, I think is it 2.9? Let me see here. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And so that's that. Hebrews 1 um, says that, um, yeah, it says, uh, well, starting at the beginning, long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made him the un- and made the universe through him, the sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, so anyway, I think, you know, so those would be even outside the Gospels. Revelation has a very high Christology. Definitely the deity of Christ is seen in Revelation. So anyway, whether it's, whether it's the um, New Testament epistles, whether it's the Gospels, you know, it seems, it, it's pretty clear that the scriptures do teach that Jesus is God. So you can imagine, getting back to Nick's point, the struggle of the early church, well, especially those who were coming from a Jewish background. Now, pretty soon the, the church did start becoming more and more Gentile. But, uh, but you can imagine the difficulty of coming up with language of a monotheistic people who have become convinced that, that Jesus the Messiah is God of how to give language to that, you know? One of the things that took away from reading that I had never considered before is when they explained the Jewish understanding of the word Messiah, it wasn't necessarily... It wasn't necessarily divine. Right. Uh, right. And so so just, just because even if, 
you know, even if Jesus says, I am the Messiah, or Jesus, you are the Messiah, that by itself is not a claim to deity, because there was not necessarily the expectation. In fact, I would say probably the opposite, uh, that, that the Messiah would be divine. Yeah, and I think that's something clicked in there where I start to see, oh, okay, now that might be why Lutherans doubt. You know, they recognize Jesus uh-huh. as man, but not right. divine. I have so, a lot of Jewish family members, and, and they, they basically think of Christians as like either idol worshippers or polytheists. Polytheists, yeah. But they claim, too, that... that the fact that the Messiah is a human is a rebuke against the concept that the Messiah is God, because God can't take the form of a human in Jewish faith. Right. Mm-hmm. First two words in that sentence: God can't. That doesn't hmm. jive with me. Hmm. Well, it's, got, it's not in God's character. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. God can do anything, especially to conceive. In, in Judaism, they're waiting the second coming. What do they expect the second coming to appear as? A person. There's there's probably different views within Judaism on that. They see it as a person that will rebuild the temple and all nations will worship there. A person. Yeah. Right. No, they're waiting for the first. And they think the first is going to be the first one's going to help them. So they. Yeah. I would argue that they think the first is going to come as a human. Okay, so the person of Jesus, the first thing I want to say on your thing is the humanity of Jesus Christ is very important. Secondly, the deity of Jesus Christ. We've talked about examples, scriptural and otherwise, of both of those. And then here's, here's uh, another thing. Uh, maybe this would be 1C under your outline. The unity of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus Christ is one not divided in being or time. So it's not as if there are two entities, the eternal Son of God, and Jesus, the human being, who are two separate entities. One of the, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. This, this is the part that I think can become a little bit more confusing, at least in my mind. Uh, Jesus Christ is one, not divided in being or time. And particularly these last two are what comes out of the Council of Chalcedon, or Chalcedon, I've heard it pronounced both ways. Here's a, here's a term that I tend to like uh, that, that I think captures, I think summarizes maybe what, what we're trying to say here. Jesus is fully human and fully God, two natures united in one person. And we'll, t- we'll unpack that. That, that actually is, has a lot in it more than maybe you might think. But that's probably a summary statement there. Fully human and fully God, two natures united in one person. Okay. So the unity of Jesus Christ, the church wanted to affirm. But the other side, it's kind of like you know, two sides of a coin, right? The two natures of Jesus Christ, two distinct natures united in one person, not commingled into a third thing. It's not like, all right, let's put the human Jesus, the deity of Jesus in, let's mix it in, and you have this kind of hybrid kind of thing, kind of like you know, those old Greek gods that, you know, half horse and half yeah. man. So that's not what we're talking about here, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's, that's kind of not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're saying that there are two distinct natures united in one person, not commingled. And so you can already see the tension of the unity and yet the two natures. So we'll, we'll talk about this particularly. Probably the best way to understand that is to talk about some of the heresies that was determined by the church as they try to explain this. That's probably the best way for us to understand this conversation. Third one, you had you said the, the unity of Jesus Christ, not divided by time and what? Not divided by time or being. So, or, or being or time. He's not divided in being or time. <coughs> and so, what we're going to hopefully we'll talk a little bit more about these. And really, it, I think it helps understand is if we talk talk about how people try to explain it and how the church said. I don't think that's right. Okay, that probably kind of helps us maybe hone in on understanding. So first, (coughs) here's most of the Christological heresies come from trying to overemphasize one to the exclusion of the other. So, for example, there are ones who wanted to, the first one I'm going to talk about is affirming the deity or divinity of Christ, but denying his full humanity. And believe it or not, that was actually the the earliest heresy that the church had to deal with. Like today, we don't think about that. <clears throat> We're trying to think about the hardest. You know, most people on the street believe is Jesus a, a human being? Oh yeah, of course. You know, 
Is Jesus God? No. You know, that's going to be the harder thing to talk to people about. But the earliest heresy in the church was actually the opposite. There were people saying that he was God, but he wasn't fully human. You even see some early forms of this, even in the New Testament. <clears throat> First John talks about those who talk about Jesus not coming in the flesh. You know, so people call this proto-Gnosticism. Let me, uh, let me throw out that fancy word. Have you ever heard of Gnostics or Gnosticism? Have we talked about that some? Okay, Gnosticism. Proto means is just an early form. Probably First John is an early form of full-blown Gnosticism was more like a second-century thing. But there's an early version, the Beta version, right? The Beta version was coming out already, and uh, and, the, and some of the early church already had to deal with it. And John is talking about it in others things, right? So Gnosticism, there are a lot of different types of Gnostic sects and groups. Probably one, two things hold all those in common. Okay, a Gnostic comes from the word. Gnosis, which means knowledge. So most of these groups have this kind of like inner knowledge, like, hey, kind of come inside of our group and get to learn all these different stages of spiritual growth and get to know our secret handshake and all that kind of thing. So, you know, I would say in general, be aware of any group that says, hey, come be a part and, you know, and you have to be part of a secret society to really kind of get to the next level. So that's, uh, that's uh, should be, you know, your radar should go up when you hear that. So, one, so first was that whole knowledge thing, right? Second thing that probably tended to um, unify the Gnostics is they had a worldview where matter was evil and uh, spirit or non-matter was good, right? So it's kind of a Greek idea of, you know, so because of that, if you're a Christian Gnostic, now I would say that's a oxymoron that you really can't be a Christian Gnostic. But if you were a Christian Gnostic, because there were forms of Gnosticism that claimed Christianity, you may have heard of like the Gnostic Gospels, or you may have heard of some of that stuff. Well, you have a dilemma, right? You would say, well, Jesus can't be human because humanity is flesh, matter, right? That's bad. So he can't, so he only appeared as human. So you had this Gnostic group called Docetics or docetism, and it comes from the Greek word which means appear. Dokeo means to appear. Jesus only appeared to be human. All right, he only appeared to be human. So one of the earliest heresies that the church had to deal with was the Gnostic idea, the docetic idea that Jesus only appeared to, to be human. So the early church had said, no, 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 he was fully human. He was fully human. So they had to deal with that. Another view that was uh, determined to be wrong on this was, and by the way, I'm going to write these names just to help you guys. I'm not expecting you guys would memorize or know all this, you know, all this, but it's just maybe, if you see the names, maybe at least it'll help you. Um, Apollinarianism, all right? I'll write this down. Apollinarianism. Uh, Narianism. It comes from a guy named Apollinarius. All right. So basically, Apollinarius would be another example of this. But he was once again. I, I told you earlier. Sometimes heretics they don't think of themselves as heretics. They think of themselves as trying to defend the faith. Well, he was a guy that was against Arius and was trying to go against Arius. So he was good in that sense uh, because he was trying to defend the deity of Christ. But some people would say, or at least the early church felt like he went too far and said some things that really weren't accurate. So what he said was the flesh of Jesus, the outside appearance of Jesus was human, but everything else was divine, meaning his intellect, his emotions, his will, everything. Sometimes this is referred to as God in a bod. All right, God in the bod, right? That helps you think about it, right? You have a body, and inside God's in there. And the early church said, no, that's not right. That's really not full humanity if you think that it's just God in a bod. God is kind of like, I don't know, not a robot, but like his, like his matter was just being manipulated by like the divine. <laughs> yeah, that he was, you know, so, so you can see why this compromises the fully human part of Jesus, right? Yeah. So did they have the belief that Jesus was fully conscious in birth? 
I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That's awful to think about, right? <laughs> so, so the God in the bod thing that they believe if he got cut in that rays of light came out or I, 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 I would guess no, just because he would say that no, blood is part of body, but everything else like the intellect, the will, the emotions, everything, all of that is God. So all the physical they would say is human, but everything else... And what the early church has said, no, that's not right. Jesus fully partook in our humanity. It wasn't, you know, that, you know. So anyway, they, the early church decided that that was not the correct way of understanding Jesus being fully human and fully God. Okay? So co-mingled atoms or something. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, next is those who wanted to affirm Jesus' humanity, but maybe they went too far and denied his full deity. That's going to be the next group we're going to talk about. All right? They affirm his humanity, but they deny his full deity. This should be 2B in the, on the back of your um, paper the there. The first one was affirm his divinity or deity, but deny his full humanity. Okay. And so this is the opposite, right? These are, these are groups or people that would affirm his humanity, but maybe deny his full deity. Okay, okay so it's the other side, okay. right? So the first group I'm going to talk about is... The Ebionites or adoptionism, or adoptionism, okay. This is primarily a Jewish group early on um, that said the human Jesus at some point, maybe at his baptism, was adopted as God's son, as being divine, and then at some point it left him, maybe right before the cross, before his death. Okay, so he was temporarily maybe adopted as God's son, and then it left him. So um, the spirit abandoned Jesus at his crucifixion. So the early church said that is not a correct view, right? He's fully human. He's fully God. He didn't just become adopted uh, at his baptism, and that left him afterwards. So announced the whole thing to Mary. Would, would the Mormons kind of fall into that? I, I, I don't know enough about a Mormon Christology. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think it was more that. I think Mormons believe more that, which is a little different. I think what Nick said. Fully God. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll go there as opposed to Jesus being fully God from the beginning. Yeah. So you can see why the early church would reject this view, right? So the other one we've already talked about. The other view is Arius, um, who who uh, was a fourth century um figure in Alexandria, and that's where a lot of, Alexandria in Egypt, you know, was a lot of where a lot of this debate was happening. So Athanasius was from Alexandria, Eris was from Alexandria, so um, they were on different sides of this. Um, and uh, he believed Christ was unique, that he was trans transcendent, but he was created being, right? That's what he taught. And I think I used this phrase earlier. One of the phrases associated with him is, there was a time when he was not. He is a created being. And the church really wrestled with that. You know, is that what Scripture teaches? Does it teach that he's the highest created being? And the church came to believe no, because the highest created being is still a created being. It's still not divine, and the Scriptures teach that he is fully divine. And so they came, they affirmed that, that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. Um, but you can see where this would become a, a, a debate among sincere Christians. You can understand why they wrestled through this. And it reminds me like knighthood. A queen or another knight can, you know, just... Mm -hmm. the, now you're a sir of such, you know... Yeah, he's the highest created being, you know. But the church decided that is not, yeah. that is not the right view of Jesus. God never sent his son. Could you argue that? 
I'm not sure I followed. Sorry, Chris. When I was reading that, uh, that many would like to have made Jesus into a mere man, uh-huh. to an eye. Yeah. But does that take away from the theory that God sent his only son? If he's just a mere man, can he be God's son? Yeah, if he's a mere man, he I don't think he can be, but I, I would say he's fully human, but also right, but they fully were, they God. Were saying mere man. But in this like in this context of mm-hmm. Arius, is that is that what you're saying? Uh, read what you have there, because I want to make sure I... Uh, um, much more to theology reverses this concern. Many would like to make Jesus into a mere man, an inspiring man, perhaps, but nevertheless, a human like each of us, even evangelicals, the ancient concern remains. Yeah, so I think what he's saying there is that many people would just make a, a, a mere man, meaning only human, right? Whereas I think we would say he's fully human, but he's also fully God. So that's why our view would be different than the mere man theory. Okay, sorry if I'm not following. Same level as Buddha. Yeah. No. Yeah. I had some, something that really helped me when I first became a Christian in college. Mm-hmm. A lot of these like heresies, like you know, the question is like, well, why is like our view right versus anything else? And and something I came quickly like when reading these heresies and realizing like like I didn't understand them and they did make sense. I had a college pastor say, yeah, that's because they're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's, you wrestle with a lot of these heresies and they don't make sense. Yeah, that's good. All right, now we're going to talk about uh, C, which is, all right, and this is the part that I think can get a little more confusing. Uh, the, there are those who wanted to affirm the two natures of, G, of Christ, but deny the unity of Christ. So um, this kind of gets back to that mother of God comment that I made earlier. Uh, you know, So there's a guy named Nestorius who heard people refer to Mary as mother of God, and he thought, that just doesn't sound right. And I confess that I kind of feel that way too when I hear that phrase. That just something about that just doesn't sound right. I don't like that. Um, and so, but his solution to that was um, to basically say that the eternal Son of God and Jesus, the human being, are two different things that became united. And so he so separated them to say that they're two different entities that became united. And um, so, I, you know, so, it, what do I have in my notes here? Person of Jesus was unique union of the eternal Son of God with the human Jesus and the Virgin Mary. What was born of Mary was human, but not the one who created Mary. So he tried to make a distinction between that baby who created, who was birthed by Mary and the eternal Son of God who created all things, including Mary herself. He just didn't like that idea of calling Mary mother of God. I'm sympathetic to that. I have that negative reaction to that phrase, but his solution, I think, is wrong, and the early church said it was wrong because he was trying to separate, does this make sense? The humanity, the person of Jesus, the person who was born from the eternal Son of God, and then said that they became united, but these are two separate entities. That became united. But he tried to separate this two in a way that the church said, no, that's not right. The eternal Son of God became human, but it wasn't a separate entity. Is that? I know it gets kind of confusing, but I think that's what the church... The church didn't want to say that there was this human being that was born, the eternal Son of God, and those are two separate entities. The church determined that is not the right way to think about this. So of God in the incarnation, right, Jesus, in the incarnation, Jesus was God in the flesh, right? But people don't have an issue with saying Mary was the mother of Jesus. No, no, no. no. In, in, in some ways, I think you could... <laughs> I don't like the phrase, but I think technically mother of God is not wrong as long as you understand what that means. <laughs> what that means. As long as you, want, if you understand whether... Jesus was God. Right. As long as you understand what that means. At one point, doesn't she say, you know, how can I be the mother of my Lord? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So anyway, uh, so this was called the Nestorian Controversy, named after Nestorius. He, uh, he was a bishop of Constantinople. And so anyway, he, like I said, he was, and so the church said, no, you're affirming the two natures, which is good, but you're denying the unity of Christ. They're not divided in time or being. Remember I said it earlier, they're not divided in being or in time. But Nestorius was trying to explain it in a way that they are divided in being in time. And so the church said, no, that's not right. And then, the next one, 
is like a, a reaction against Nestorius, but like an overreaction, right? Possibly. So there would be those who would affirm the unity of Christ, but deny the two natures of Christ. And say, actually, this goes into, remember that asterisk we talked about, like the Coptic church and things like that? This gets into that a little bit. So um, early on, this Eutychus of Constantinople. By the way, this is also called, this next one that I'm going to talk about, is called <laughs> Mono... Phys, <laughs> make sure I'm spelling it right. Monophysitism, yep, physitism. And basically, mono, you may know, means one, right? Like monotheism means one God. So mono, one. Physitism relates to nature. So you can see <coughs> the problem with them is that they overcompensated and said, no, 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 Jesus only had... He only had one nature. He didn't have two natures in one person. He only had one nature. And the way that they explained it, to me, it kind of sounds like Apollinarianism a little bit, a little bit. But the way that they explained it was um, Jesus' humanity was like a drop of wine in the ocean of his divinity. And so that's how they said his, his humanity was like a drop. Think, think about a little drop of wine in the ocean. So it gets absorbed and it's like nothing, right? The problem with that is, is that you're probably denying the full humanity of Christ. So you're, so, you know, so that. But then also, you're denying the fact that there are two natures of Christ, right? Rather than the, uh, the monophysitism view, uh, or this view would say that no, it's, it's just the humanity just gets absorbed into the divine. And so what you're saying there is, you end up saying that, A, you end up denying the full humanity of Christ, but B, you also end up denying the fact that he did have these two natures. They're not commingled, but they are separate, united in one person. And so, anyway, some of this stuff gets a little hard to kind of get your mind around. Some of this stuff's kind of hard to get your mind around. But at least, if nothing else, you, you will have heard this and been exposed to this, and you can appreciate some of the um, struggle of the early church in trying to give language to how we understand who Jesus is, the person of Jesus. And um, so even if you don't remember all these heresies going forward, now you have a, at least a general sense of maybe how to speak about Christ and maybe how to avoid speaking wrongly <laughs> about him. And I think this, this is a pretty good, good paraphrase here. Fully, he's fully human, fully God, two natures united in one person. I can't remember. I, maybe, but I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure I didn't make it up. I know I probably got it. I got it, I got, but I got it from somewhere, but I can't, I'm not sure. Maybe it might, it might be in this book. A lot of the material from tonight's from this book called A Basic Christian Theology by A.J. Conyers. So it may be in this book, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're, it's like, like what they call a Sisyphean task. You're never, we don't have the ability. Right. Brain, power, and otherwise, understanding. We're never going to solve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To try anyway. Right, right. One of my mentors said to me one time, he said, you know, the best theology is only an approximation of the truth, right? Because we're human. We're, we don't, we're not all knowing like God is, right? In the right place. And right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Is an approximation of the truth, meaning that you know we're we're not omniscient. We don't know all things. Only God is, and we're not. You know. Yeah. Well, who said it? Like even when we get to heaven, we probably still aren't yeah. going to understand. Yeah. Fully. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. the moment on the cross. So, how should we understand it when Jesus uh, My God. on the cross and said, "Why?" Yeah, um, I'll certainly give you uh, Mike Glenn's view on that, uh, and, and I'm pretty sympathetic to it, um, to Mike Glenn's view, although I will say it's not necessarily the traditional view, but also let me start with Mike Glenn's view first. Uh, Mike Glenn's view is, and if you've been around Brentwood long enough and heard him preaching, you've, I'm sure you've heard this because he's, he t- tends to bring it up once every couple years, 
But um, his view of that is not that the father actually forsook Jesus at that point in time, but that because of Jesus' humanity and having all the sin that was laid on him, that experientially he felt God forsaken. So it wasn't that God objectively separated from Jesus, you know, but that because of the sin he was taking on, that part of that sin makes you feel the abandonment of God. So it was more of a subjective sense, meaning that he felt that God, rather than the reality of God turning, his, turning away. So could you say he had a moment of doubt? Uh, yeah, I, I, that's not, I don't know. I don't know if I'd use that phrase or not. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I had heard, and I, you said that may not be the traditional view. I, I was told that Jesus literally talking about the transfiguration became, <coughs> became all of that sin. Mm-hmm. So Jesus, or God, cannot be. Right. So that, that's probably more the traditional view. The other, the other view would be that... Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that he, Jesus, became sin on our behalf so that on the cross he became sin because God is, through the, through the sacrifice of his son, is judging sin that he has, has judged not Jesus but the sin that he took on. And so that would explain, would explain. but still there's some mystery there how... how how can God, for, if, if the Trinity is God three and one, how can, how can one part of the Trinity forsake? I mean, so there's definitely, I, I, it definitely raises questions that I don't fully understand. I'm reading a book now, The Hope of Glory, which is a dissection of all the words Jesus said from the cross. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very yeah. I, I, I kind of like Mike. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And it brings to mind Isaiah 59. Where he says, but your, iniqui- your iniquities are separating you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not listen. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of like that. It, it appeals to me because, you know, you're going to feel that separation at that point. Right, right. That, which is unique to his experience. <coughs> unique to his experience because he had no sin, right, until he took on our sin. Yeah. What do you mean took on? What's your definition of that? Took on. Took on doesn't mean he committed those sins. It means that he was... Uh, I mean, he's he, to pay the price. He, the substitute that stepped in our place to take on the sin that we have all committed, that he took that on as a substitutionary sacrifice. Okay. Um, There's a really good Yeah. Right, right. But it's more than that because he's fully God. Right. You know, only it was I've heard only only man could pay the penalty. Only God had the power to pay the penalty for everyone. So that's why Jesus had to be both God and man. You know, I mean that's not in Scripture, but that's. Right. That's, a, that's maybe a good way of understanding it. Right. That was all our sins before and since. Mm-hmm. And forever for eternity. Yeah. It's a huge weight to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, guys, I know we have del- dived into some of the finer aspects of uh, Christology and theology, but hopefully um, it's not been completely in vain. Hopefully it's helpful to... Help us, yeah, help us think through, you know, if nothing else. Here, here's my thought. Um, here's my thought on these things. Everyone's a theologian. Here's what I mean by that. Everyone thinks something about God and how we relate to God and what salvation is. And so wouldn't it make sense that we would be good theologians? Meaning this, meaning wouldn't it be, wouldn't, doesn't it make sense that if we're going to be thinking about God, especially those who are in this room, I would say that part of the reason you're in this class is you want to grow in your faith. Your faith is very important to you. Hopefully the most important thing in your life. If that's true, and you're going to be thinking about God and Jesus and how to relate to Him and what is salvation, wouldn't it be helpful to think as biblically and as rightly about those things as possible? 
you know? And, and we all understand we're, we're, we're finite, we're human, we're not going to get it all resolved. And I think, I think we should, I would encourage all of us to have a certain humility about these things, you know, not like, hey, I've got it down, I, I understand everything. You know, I think there's a certain humility that we should all have. But at the same time, you know, why wouldn't we want to think as biblically and as rightly about these things as we can, right? So I think, I think for that reason, these things are very important. Okay? Any final question, comment before we close? Let's pray together. All right. Lord, thank you for these men and women around these tables and just a great conversation. Jesus, you are the amazing Savior. And you, we, we can't, uh, the great thing is we cannot make, say, any accolades or praises that would go beyond who you are because you are uh, an amazing Savior. Um, well, thank you for the truth of Scripture that, that reveals to, to you being fully God, fully human. Uh, we're so thankful for that, that you are a Savior who has redeemed us by your grace. Thank you, Jesus, that you did come in human form, in the incarnation, to show us the way, to show us the Father, to teach us, and ultimately to die on our behalf on the cross. We're so uh, amazed by your grace towards us, your love for us. Help us to love you and, and to uh, be your uh, hands and feet in this world and help us to be your ambassadors. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.